This is the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said to the disciples, About that day and hour no one knows. Neither the angels of heaven nor the Son of Man, but only the Father. For as the days of Noah were, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing until the flood came and swept them all away. So too will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two will be in the field, one will be taken and one will be, will be left. Two women will be grinding meal together, one will be taken and one will be left. Keep awake, therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, O Christ. You can be seated. So, there we have in the gospel, Jesus talking about his return, the second coming, the end times, the final judgment, whatever language you would care to use, Jesus is talking about that, and the verses that we just heard are part of a larger sermon on that theme that he's talking about and preaching at the end of Matthew's gospel. It takes up much of Matthew 23 through 25, almost three chapters. So it's a long sermon that we have here. But I'm going to be honest with you. I don't expect that I spend any more time thinking about the end times or Jesus' second coming than most of you do. <laughs> so when it comes time to preach about it, I don't have a bunch of reflections and prayers from the last weeks or months or year to draw upon and say, this is exactly what I'm thinking and have been reflecting on. It's a bit of a tough spot because oftentimes the only time that I'm really sort of drawn into that is when Pastor Chris or myself get a somewhat amusing or annoying homemade CD-ROM or self-published book from a prophet talking about the end times and warning us to be ready. And I don't take those things very seriously because as we just heard from Jesus, no one knows the time or the hour. Just be ready. It's going to be unexpected. So when someone says, well, this is the time, I can't take it very seriously. So I don't spend much time thinking about it and I don't pass the messages that they send us on to you, which you should really be grateful for. Because <laughs> it would make for some interesting sermons, and I promise you some of you would not be here if we were regularly preaching them. But every Advent, we are brought around again to this idea 
of the end times because the getting ready of Advent is not just a getting ready and a looking forward to Jesus, the baby being born, coming as the Messiah, but also to Jesus coming again. And so our readings turn in this direction and invite us to spend some time thinking about Jesus' return, even if it's something that we don't generally spend much time on. And so to that end, spend a moment with me reflecting. If you did know, we're just told that we don't, but if you did know, that Jesus was going to return tomorrow or next week, what would you do differently? What would change? How would the week ahead be different if you knew that it was the last week before Jesus returned? And the world as we currently know and live in it ended. To ask it another way, how do you want Jesus to find you when he returns? These may not be the type of questions that occupy our mind regularly, but this was the mindset and the type of thing that the early church was thinking about because unlike us, they lived with the expectation that Jesus would return and soon. And so we have Paul writing, as we heard of the Romans, things like the night is far gone. The day is near. When Matthew writes in his gospel to the community, you also must be ready. He's operating from the expectation that Jesus was going to return any time, but almost certainly within the lifetime of his and his people. It was going to happen soon. And so they lived in light of that expectation and assumption that Jesus could be back any time. And that actually led to some pretty radical ways of living. We have Paul writing, for example, to the Galatians, there is no longer Jew nor Greek, no longer slave nor free, no longer male nor female. And, And if we think about what he's actually saying there, he's not suggesting that Jews or Greeks or males or females cease to exist. He's, he's saying that the divisions and the hierarchies that separate us and put some people below others, those are not part of the kingdom of God. And so we as the community are no longer going to live that way because the real kingdom of God is going to be here soon and we want to be living according to that kingdom's ways, not according to the ways of the world. So we're throwing all of these things out because that, the wor- that world, no longer Jew, nor Greek, no longer slave, nor free, that world is the world that's coming and it's coming soon. That was the expectation of the first believers, and they lived that way in a radical new way because they expected the old way to end and the kingdom of God that Jesus talked about to come at any time, any moment. Now, not surprisingly, 
that sense of urgency, of expectation that it's going to be soon, didn't last. Because the years and then the decades passed and Jesus didn't return. And here we are centuries and centuries later, but it didn't take nearly that long for that expectation of immediate, imminent return to begin to fade. We can actually see it within the New Testament writings themselves. And so while we have Paul writing in the early 50s, about 20 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, saying things like, there's no longer Jew nor Greek, no longer slave nor free, no longer male nor female. Jump ahead a few decades to maybe the early 90s, so maybe four decades later, and we have the letter to the Ephesians saying things like, wives, obey your husbands. Slaves, obey your masters. That's a pretty significant difference that took place over 40 or so years. The teachings of the church changed dramatically, and this was largely because that expectation that the kingdom was going to come any day now began to fade as the years began to pass. And so rather than living radically in that expectation that the kingdom was going to be here soon, the Christian community began conforming to the ways of the world around them. The hierarchies and patterns of relationship of the society at the time that they'd begun to assume, well, they were going to have to live in. We had to get along in the midst of this because, well, Jesus may or may not be coming soon. And so the radical ideas of how to live in light of Christ's coming that marked the earliest of the church was already fading a few decades later, within the relatively small amount of time that the New Testament writings cover, we can see it within our own scriptures. And so if it's happening within a century of Jesus' death and resurrection, of Jesus not returning as quickly as the believers expected, where does that leave us nearly 2,000 years later? How can we, after all of this time, live with any sort of expectation or urgency that Christ is going to return? I mean, we're told that it can happen at any time and that it's going to come at a time that surprises us. I think we'd all be surprised at this point. But that's what we're, we're told, and Jesus tells the parable of the bridesmaids as part of this same sermon just in the next chapter, and, you know, talks about, he warns against, you know, getting, getting lax or thinking it's not going to happen if there's a delay. So we're cautioned against it, but I do think that it's just natural human instinct after this much time to lose that sense of urgency. And as a result, to kind of just as... The early church, if not the very first believers, did to kind of 
settle into the ways of living that mark the world around us, to conform to the patterns of this world. It's natural, but that doesn't mean that it's necessary or the only way that we can go about things. So how can we live in expectation of Christ's return? I think one, following the example of those very first believers, I don't think that I can even say the early church because the 90s and 100s certainly was the early church, but things had already begun to change. But those very first believers, following their examples, I think that we can ask when that kingdom does come, the kingdom that Jesus proclaimed, the way that he talked about the world and how it was going to be. When we think about that world, we can try to live in that pattern, live in that way of living that Jesus proclaimed as opposed to what we see around us. We can try to be a little more radical, a little more distinct from the patterns of the world that we find ourselves living in. For example, think about Isaiah's prophecy that we heard. We'll hear some of Isaiah's prophecies that are fulfilled. For example, the virgin will conceive and bear a son. We'll read that and we look forward to Jesus being born. That's one of those prophecies, those promises that are already fulfilled. But we heard today him talking about peace about swords being beat into plowshares, about nations not making war anymore, and we have to concede that that is not yet our reality. We know that all too well. For our purposes of living, however, we might ask ourselves, well, do we hear Isaiah as some sort of idealistic fantasy or pipe dream that maybe somewhere down the road God will make happen, but right now it's too hard to believe. Or can we hear Isaiah's prophecy about peace as a way for us to strive to live in the world, at peace with one another, and also trying to create peace in the world around us, however we might go about doing that. We can live with either of those. One of them is an expectation that Christ is going to return. And the world is going to change. The kingdom is going to come. We can live in the pattern of that kingdom. We can begin working to build that kingdom in the world today. That would be one way to live in expectation of Christ's return. But the other thing that I notice as I listen to Jesus talking in our gospel text today about that return is that in describing what's going on and how to live in preparation, both in the text that we heard, but in this larger sermon as well, he's not talking about extraordinary events or happenings that are ongoing Certainly not in the way that the basement CD-ROMs and little self-published books that we get often are looking at big extreme events and saying, see, these are the signs. Jesus' description of what is happening is a description of really 
ordinary, normal things. He talks about paralleling the experience at the time of the flood and Noah. People are eating and drinking, marrying and giving and marrying, giving in marriage. They're going about their business. Jesus talks about people working in the field, women grinding flour, going about their business, just doing their thing. As we keep reading through this same sermon, Jesus gives us more images, all of them just kind of ordinary. He talks about a a manager of a household and says, well, if you want to be prepared, the good manager, the faithful manager, he just goes about his business and he does what he's supposed to, caring for the other slaves in the household. He's not doing something extremely religious or crazy or anything like that. He's, he's just doing what he's been called to do faithfully, as opposed to, in that same text, Jesus warns about, you know, becoming selfish or inward-looking and exploiting your positions and uh, taking advantage or abusing those people that you're able to. The manager in that example isn't doing anything crazy. He's just doing his job faithfully and mindful of the people entrusted to him and their needs and the desires of God. In the same sermon, we get the parable of the talents, and it has the same message. It simply says, whatever has been entrusted to you by God... Whatever it is that you have, whether it's your family, your job, any relationships that you have, whatever activities, your money, whatever you have, whatever God has entrusted to you, because all things come from God, use them faithfully for God's glory. Use them as God would have you do. There's nothing new there. It's just looking at what you already have going on, what you already have, and asking, how do I faithfully use this for God? Another example, the final parable or teaching that's part of this sermon, Jesus includes the judgment of the nations, the sheep and the goats, and there's this separation there. But the point is that Jesus is found in the least of these. That the calling in this meantime, the preparation for Christ's coming, is a particular attention to the hungry, to the thirsty, to all of those in need. There is a normalcy to being ready, as our gospel text encourages. It simply takes place in the rhythms and responsibilities of our day today. In our job or school or relationships with family and friends or the ordinary encounters with strangers or people in need that is part of all of our lives every single day. It's not anything crazy. It's these normal activities. And so Jesus talks about two people side by side doing ordinary things, working in the fields. The difference in terms of the readiness is not the activity itself, the business itself, but the how we go about the various activities, responsibilities, rhythms, and routines of our daily life. And so I think the invitation here for all of us is to look at our normal, 
to examine and to consider the activities that make up our days and our weeks and reflect on how we can simply live within the patterns of our daily life more faithfully, more lovingly, more reflective of the world that Christ will bring. In the Advent season, we live in this space of already, but not yet. We, we light the candles of the Advent wreath, moving towards that center candle, the promise that Christ will come, the promise that has already been fulfilled. But we hold that alongside the promises that are not yet fulfilled, like the vision that Isaiah had and we heard today, the promises that have not yet been fulfilled that will not be fulfilled until Christ returns again. So as we move towards Christmas, we're moving not just towards Christ that already came, but Christ that will come again, as we'll confess in our creed. As we think about being ready, not just for Christmas and our decorations and whatnot, as we're doing that sort of preparation, but if we think about preparation for Christ's return, I want to suggest within this paradigm of already and not yet that to be ready for that return is to live in the already. To be ready is to live in the already. Christ has already come God has already fulfilled God's promise to send a Savior. Christ has already come. Christ has already lived among us, joining with humanity. Christ has already taught us how to live with one another, loving not only our friends and family, but strangers and neighbors and even enemies. Christ has already died for us, forgiven us all our sin, and Christ has risen from the dead, freeing us from the power of death, freeing us from the fear of death, granting us the hope and promise of life everlasting. Christ has already come. Christ has already granted us the Holy Spirit that lives within and among us, moving in the world. Christ is already present here. Yes, we can look around, and there are plenty of ways in which the world does not yet reflect the world as God has promised the kingdom that Jesus proclaimed. Yes, the world does not yet fully reflect the fullness of God's promise. But we... We who believe are already called to live in that world, to live in that promised kingdom that Jesus proclaims, to live in the faith that Christ is already with us, that we already belong to God. Amen.